All right, guys, everybody take a seat. Hey, for those of you who are still signing your names, this is going to be here every single week. So if you want to do it after gathering, you can do that as well. I'll let you guys finish up here. Everyone take a seat, take a seat. Everyone take a big deep breath for me. Love it. All right, everybody. So we're doing this awesome thing. We are going to be creating these packages. We've prayed for a hundred of them, um, but I'd love to see what we can do if we decide that we run out of cards by next week. We're going to have it every week. If we run out of cards by next week, uh, we can um, totally grab more and we can make a couple more bags. So um, this box and boxes like this are going to be on stage for us over the next few weeks as I'm preaching to remind us of uh, what it is that we're doing. When we're Christians, when we know Jesus, we help meet people's practical needs as we tell them about the gospel. Amen? Amen. All right. Ladies, take a seat. We will be, this will be up uh, right after gathering. So, sweet. All right, everybody, citizens, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Everyone take a deep breath and look at me right in the eyes. I want to see all of your beautiful eyes looking up at me. Three, two, one, deep breath. <sighs> Love it. Last week, where were we in the Bible last week? Acts. All right, we're continuing on in our series called The Spark, where we're looking all at what Jesus did through the power of his Holy Spirit and through the apostles of Jesus. We learned that uh, Jesus told his people, Jesus told his people not to leave Jerusalem until the promise of the Holy Spirit would come. And his followers listened and they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's been an incredible journey. And so, man, I'm super excited to dive back into uh, the Word tonight. If you're brand new to Citizens tonight, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. It's a blessing to see you guys every single week. I'm so glad that you guys have showed up. Um, this is a ministry that we want to share with people. And so when new friends come and visit us, we want to save them a seat, right? There's seats around us that we could uh, invite our friends to. We want to welcome them in with joy and with grace. And so um, thank you guys for inviting friends. Thank you guys for being here every single Wednesday night. So last week, we learned all about this amazing miracle at Pentecost. Jesus promises his Holy Spirit, and then his Holy Spirit comes to dwell with his people. For thousands of years, the Spirit of God was living and dwelling in physical places. The Spirit of God was dwelling with his people in tents. He was uh, dwelling with his people in a tabernacle. And we see for the very first time in human history, in a miraculous, beautiful thing, the Holy Spirit is now living and breathing inside of his followers. And we're actually going to see tonight another miracle that happens on Pentecost Sunday. Yes, we remember the flaming tongues. We remember uh, all these uh, amazing interpretation things the Lord uh, did on that day. But sometimes we forget about this one really cool miracle that we're going to look into, and that is the preaching of God's word from the apostle Peter. Peter delivers a sermon explaining what Pentecost is and calling people to repent and calling people to the gospel of Jesus. And 3,000 people get saved. Everyone say, whoa. Yeah, it's a lot. I know. Wow. Strong reaction from the crowd. That's amazing. It's insane. Um, before we dive in, I have to ask you guys a question. Do you have someone in your life right now who is just a little bit like 
extra. Do we still call people that, like extra? Was that like two years ago? They're just like, you know, they like to take things a little far. Hands up if you're like, yes. All right, now point to them if they're in the room. No, I'm just kidding. That would be rude. And when I mean extra, I mean they take things like to the max. Like they just are like, they're like, man, if we're doing this thing, I have to be the best at it. If we're doing, if we're going out, we're going all out, right? All right, everyone, eyes up here, eyes up here. Eyes up here. So I call this the dad syndrome. Kind of like all dads are kind of like this, I've realized. My dad's notorious for this. If it's like, okay, let's go hiking. And it's like, okay. It could be as simple as putting on shoes and deciding where you want to hike. But sometimes, specifically dads, are like, oh, okay, well, we need to make sure that we have this massive backpack. We need to have the right shoes. We need to have a GPS. We need to have 45 gallons of water. We need to have a map just in case we get lost and the GPS goes bad. We need to make sure that we have flares just in case. And you know, you know what I mean? And they just go on and on. And you're like, we need this and that. And we need this fancy things. And we need like all, all these like uh, just strips of reflectant tape all over our entire bodies, right? Does anyone know anyone like that? And by chance, is it their dad? Because a lot of times it is dads. They're notorious for this. Right? They just take things to the next level and you're like, man, is it really this complicated? Can't we just like go hiking and be safe, right? I know my dad's like this on road trips specifically. He plans the whole thing out and he like times it to a T and he has every contingency in mind, right? And some people are just like this. It's their personality. It's fun. We love them. And they make life super interesting and super fun. Nine times out of 10, it's like our 40 or something year old dads. And um, anyways, all that to say, there's sometimes things, there's times um, where we take things to the max. And here uh, we're going to see tonight in Scripture a sermon that Peter preaches. And sometimes people look at the next 27 verses and they think, man, that is a really complicated sermon. But the sermon that's taught tonight is actually very, very simple. And the application from the sermon is a very, very simple one as well. See, we as believers, we've somehow convinced ourselves that to share the gospel, to talk to our friends about Jesus, we need to have five to ten years of leadership training. We need to take, you know, professional speech lessons. We need to have uh, a book of apologetics memorized in our brains. We need to make sure that we say the right things at the right time to the right person. We need to make sure that we're all completely trained up. And we sometimes, uh, you know, we sometimes get ahead of ourselves as Christians. We get a little extra in what we expect ministry to be like and how we need to minister to other people. When the very clear application from tonight's text is going to show us that the gospel is actually very simple. And when we preach the gospel, it's also very simple. Could it really be ministering to our friends, talking to other people about Jesus, could it really be as simple as just Jesus? Could it really be? Could it really be that we talk about Jesus and we rely on Jesus' Holy Spirit to bring us to our friends, our neighbors, our family members, to the nations and beyond? Could it really be that simple? Could it really be just Jesus? Because I think if we believe that, we would be a lot more emboldened to start sharing our faith. I think that if we believe that, we would start living our lives a little bit differently day to day. Could it really be just Jesus? Could it really just be his spirit leading us and us talking about him, even if we don't have the right answers? Man, I hope tonight the text is going to encourage you. I hope you're going to see just Jesus super, super clearly from this text. 
Let's pray together, and then we're going to read 27 <gasps> verses tonight. All right? God, thank you for this uh, night. Thank you for these students. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would be with us tonight as we're looking at this awesome, awesome sermon uh, that you inspired Peter to preach to the people on Pentecost. God, we ask that tonight we would be um, just so ingrained in your word that we would uh, have clear application, that we would know how to apply this to our hearts and lives. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. If you have your Bibles, open up there. Look at it really quickly. As we go through a lot of verses, I want you to pay attention to every word, okay? And I don't want you to be distracted, so listen to these words. Right now we're going through verses 14 through 20, uh, 21. It says this, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose. All right, remember last week some people thought that the interpretation of tongues, this miracle that happened, some people thought that the apostles were drunk and he's like, nope, not drunk since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet of Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on thy male servants and female servants in all those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The title, obviously, of today, you have it there, is just Jesus. Here, Peter is beginning to preach a message that is all about Jesus. And the first thing he points out, he explains uh, the events of Pentecost are explained. Verses 14 through 21. The events of Pentecost are explained here. And Peter uses the Old Testament to affirm the incredible miracle that has just happened. He uses the prophet Joel. He uses quotations directly from the Old Testament to explain what has just happened. That's verses 17 through 21. It's an excerpt from Joel chapter 2. And in this, he explains that the Lord himself has now done exactly what he said he was going to do. So Joel was a prophet in the Old Testament. We don't know specifically when Joel was written, but Joel spoke about a number of things in the short, the short book that he wrote. In, in the prophet Joel, he wrote about the day of the Lord in a couple different ways. He talked about the days of the Lord that have come to pass, which basically just mean when the Lord was working significantly in the people of Israel. And he also predicts the day of the Lord in the future. So some of the things that uh, Joel prophesies about, he speaks about, is the locusts, swarming locusts that have come and devoured the people of Israel. Prophet Joel is writing about this. This could have been, we don't know for sure, but like six to 800 years before Jesus. The Israelites are in the season of dryness and drought and there's locusts. And of course, like all the prophets, Joel is saying, repent Israel and turn to the Lord and the Lord will restore and redeem the years that we have lost from the swarming locusts. And the Lord does that and we see that written in the book of Joel. But there's one specific promise here that would be for the future. And that's what we just read. 
Joel predicts a day when God's spirit will no longer dwell in a tent, will no longer dwell um, with the people of Israel in the sense that he is physically there somewhere with them, but the fact that the spirit will then fill his people who follow him. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hundreds of years before Jesus, this is predicted. And Peter gets up there and he declares this very truth. And he says, all one day who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in this moment, so many people, their eyes would have been open. It would have been a light bulb moment. The words that they studied as a kid, they realized was right there before them. So what does Peter do in his sermon? He calls attention. He tells everyone to listen and he goes right to scripture. Because the power of preaching, the power of communicating the gospel really does come from Scripture. Peter's bound by Scripture. He probably had memories, uh, portions of Scripture memorized, and it's immediately there decided that he's going to preach from the prophet of Joel. This, this passage, it speaks of the Lord's deliverance and guidance for his people, the redemption and the rescue of his people. So that's what's being explained here. The events of Pentecost are explained. He is calling the people who are listening to remember what God promised he would do and tell them, hey, that like just happened. The day that God had prophesied about, had told us about years ago has come to fruition. And now you and I, we have the spirit of God. Man, that's what, that's what Peter does. He addresses that reality right from the start. The Spirit was promised to be poured out on all of his people. And there's a couple results here from this passage. It says that they will prophesy, they will see visions, they will see wonders from God. And ultimately, the Spirit's going to bring what? Salvation, verse 21, to all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's always desired to be and to save and rescue his people. But now it's become this amazing thing that the people of God can go out, speak of the gospel, and anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter is saying there is a new era of, of, of a new relationship, so to speak, between God and man. God is still the same. His spirit's still the same. But now there's a new way that people get to interact because of the miraculous love of Jesus, because of the, the intercession of Christ, because of the connection, because of the gap that we couldn't cross in our own sinfulness. Now there is some sort of bridge between the two. He's saying God has kept his promise. He has been faithful to deliver us. He has been faithful to give us the spirit. And he is saying that the results are going to be incredible. Throughout this passage, we see a couple of the applications. We see that those who have the Spirit will be guided. They'll see visions and they will have dreams. The guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit. He says it doesn't matter, uh, you know, your economic background, who you are, your gender. It doesn't matter. He says, uh, you know, all those who call upon the name of the Lord, the male servants, female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. It's this idea of an overflow, right? When you walk outside and it's not raining and all of a sudden there's a thunderstorm above you, he says, that is what I'm going to do for you. I will give you your spirit. Because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises all throughout scripture. And God keeps his promises to you. God's in control. He's in control of your life. He knows what you're going through. And he's, kept, and he's kept his promises through generations. And Peter and the crowd, I mean, think about this guy, right? The guy who denied Jesus three times, 
the one who is not perfect, the one who didn't quite have a good track, you know, record of following the Lord super closely, the one who was kind of a hothead, the one who would put his foot in his mouth, the one who would say, I will never forsake you. And then now he's like, has forsaken him. He is now the one who the Holy Spirit empowers to deliver this speech. What does that say for us? It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter, you know, if you have always the right words to say or if you've said something stupid in the past. It's like, oh man, I guess I can't tell my friends about Jesus. No, the Lord chooses broken people. But what does Peter rely on? He relies on God's word. Do you know God's word like that? Do you know his promises? Do you know his truth? Is it so close to your heart that when someone says something, you have a couple of memory verses, you have a couple of verses just on the top of your mind? When the Lord brings someone into your life to encourage and tell about the gospel, do you have scripture in your heart? Psalm 119 says that I've hidden my word in my heart so I might not sin against you. So I will speak of your righteousness. The Lord has given us his word to tell other people about him. So a couple of things this passage illuminates to us. One, there's going to be plenty of times in your life where people try and say that the Old Testament, you know, it's like kind of a little bit different than the New Testament. Like there's some sort of gap that happens. All of a sudden, God was kind of mean in, in, in the Old Testament, but then the New Testament, it's like he's like a totally different guy. Many people will try and tell you that there's some sort of disconnect or there's some sort of schism between the two. And you can look to a passage like this and say that's completely not true. With the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the very first Christian sermon ever preached, what is being taught? The Old Testament, the prophecies of Jesus, because the Old Testament and the New Testament are completely dependent on each other. The Old Testament's pointing to a Savior, and the New Testament is pointing back at a Savior. And we live in a time where now we have access to God's Spirit, but we know that the Old Testament and the New Testament are connected deeply to one another. Just like uh, Peter draws into attention here. God keeps his promises. He explains Pentecost, explains how God has always planned this from the beginning. Are you ever tempted in your life to think that God is some chaotic God who like hasn't really quite planned the future out super well? Sometimes we could feel like that in seasons when friends are sick, when loved ones are lost, when things are really going bad. We're sometimes tempted to think, man, God can't really care about me right now. Does God even understand? Does God even see? Does God know what he's doing? Is he really in control? And we look to passages like this and we know and we see the fact that for hundreds of years, God has kept his promise to you. He is not a chaotic God. He is not a God who hasn't thought through the future. He hasn't uh, forgotten about you. And we know that this passage, specifically the reality that the Holy Spirit has now been poured out upon us, it shows that he, one, keeps his promise, and two, his spirit dwells in you and is continuing to refine you and correct you. So the first thing we see, we see Peter get up there, a man broken, a man who has betrayed Jesus, restored to ministry and preaching of the goodness of God and the fact that the Holy Spirit was promised for years to come. He explains Pentecost, and then he does something really cool here. Read along with me as we start again in uh, verse 22. It says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up 
loosing the fangs of death because it, it, could not, it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at the right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart will be glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope for you have not abandoned my soul to Hades. Oh, let the, your Holy One see corruption, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence, so he's quoting David here, and then Peter's back here saying this, brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but says of himself, he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. The people standing in this crowd would have seen Jesus die. Many of them would have been saying, crucify him. Many of which would have welcomed him in, then all of a sudden the next week would have said, crucify him. And then many of them would see Jesus raised again. That's who Peter's preaching to. And he says, hey, you know that guy you killed? That was God's son. Talk about a pretty crazy moment. The person that you were responsible for their death, that was Jesus. That was God's son. That was who David was talking about through the Psalms. The Psalms that you love to quote, the Psalms that you know, they spoke of this Jesus person and you killed him. He preaches Jesus unapologetically. That's our second point. Verses 22 through 30, uh, 36 show us that Jesus is unapologetically preached. Look at this, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. He says the Holy Spirit was promised, but also a Messiah was promised, and that was Jesus. That's who he was. He unapologetically preaches the gospel of Jesus. He preaches a full gospel, not a fake gospel, not a feel-good gospel, not a gospel that isn't offensive to anyone. He preached the fact that we are sinners separated by, uh, by sin. We're sinners separated from God, and we needed a Savior. And he says, this Jesus, that Messiah, that was him. Verse 22, Jesus was a human being who lived a perfect life. Verse 23, Jesus was killed by lawless men so that it would also be, he was killed by lawless men, but also was according to the will and the sovereign plan of God. Verse 24, Jesus was resurrected because death could not hold him down. And then he points to the Psalms. He points to David, this picture, this king, this person that so many people would have looked to. He says, the one that we look to in the Old Testament, he was just pointing to this guy, Jesus. He was just pointing to the one thing that you and I actually need. And he quotes from here, uh, from the Psalms, from two different Psalms. 
a moment where David gets to see the Lord. And the promise from uh, uh, God to David was that a descendant of David would sit on the throne. And we know that to be Jesus. He says in confidence, verses 29 show us through 34 show us, Peter's getting up there and he's explaining, David the patriarch, he's dead and he didn't come back to life. But this guy, Jesus, he was also dead, but he did come back to life. So let's focus on him a little bit, right? He unapologetically preaches about Jesus. He's explaining what has happened, not just in the past day, but for the past 40, 50 days. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the hope of humanity. The gospel is the hope for you. The fact that you and I were stuck in sin and needed a savior, and the fact that God provided for himself a lamb is the solution. He just preaches Jesus. He just preaches Jesus. So oftentimes we we look in our lives and we say, man, we need something else, right? We need something else to get us through. But what if the solution is actually who who, who Peter is talking about here? What if the solution to these problems is actually found at the point of Jesus, is found in Christ? All these things he is pointing to, and he unapologetically preaches about who Jesus is. Peter points to all of Scripture and says Jesus was under the influence of the Spirit, and now his Spirit's been poured out upon all of us. So many times in life, I mentioned it before, I think some of us think that, well, okay, to tell my friends about Jesus, to talk to other people, I need to have, like, a lot of knowledge in my head. I need to have, a, uh, you know, this book memorized. I need to have this um, uh, um, apologetics, uh, uh, oh, man, what's the word I'm looking for? Apologetics book memorized. I need to have all the answers in my uh, notebook. I need to know what to tell people. But if you know about the gospel of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, then you have all that you need to do this. You have everything that you need to go tell other people about Jesus. This is, this is the truth of what he is. This is the gospel here in Acts. He's pointing to the reality that even though they were lawless men, it was still the sovereign will and plan that God would rescue and redeem all things to himself. Have you heard the gospel so many times in your life that you've forgotten what it means? Have you heard the gospel so much in your life that you forgot what it means? When you see a cross on a stage or engraved on your Bible, do you forget what it actually means? Do you forget what the weight of this gospel is? The cross is God's picture of love towards you. The cross is God's picture of sacrifice for you so that he would be glorified, but so that he may bring many sinners back to himself so he would reconcile all things to him. When you hear the gospel, when you look down at these words, do you forget to preach this gospel to yourself? Do you forget to preach this gospel to yourself or has it lost its meaning? Has it lost its weight in your life? We have to preach this gospel to ourselves every single day. The fact that Jesus is God, the fact that Jesus died for me according to the goodness of God, that Jesus rose again according to the scriptures, and I need Jesus every day. That's the gospel that you have to preach to yourself. Or are you tempted to teach false gospels to yourself? 
Are you tempted to believe some of these false gospels that are running around? Well, you know, sin isn't that bad. The things that I do, they don't actually separate me from God. This is some sort of like metaphorical thing, I'm sure. Are you tempted to teach yourself the opposite? Say, man, I am the worst of the worst. I need to grab onto God. I need to crawl my way to salvation. And if I mess up, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose salvation. I'm going to lose God. How often are you tempted to think that? You need to preach the true, honest, real gospel, unapologetically, like Peter does here, to yourself every day. Are you scared to talk about Jesus with your friends? Do you think maybe, well, I could tell them about Jesus, but then I have to like act a little bit different around them. Maybe that's a good thing, right? Maybe that's a place to start. Well, if I like talk about Jesus to my classmates, I'm going to lose some friends. It's like, okay, maybe that's a good place to start. Well, if I, if I talk about Jesus, then people are going to know that I'm a Christian. And it's like, isn't that a good place to start? This is what Peter does. It's all these, again, it's this big language. It's all pointing back to the Old Testament. It's a lot of thick explanation here, but it's all about Jesus. Is it possible that his spirit and his, his gospel is enough for ministry? Do we need leadership classes? Do we need all of these things? Those things could be awesome. But is it possible that the very two things you need are always with you, the gospel of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus. How often are you dwelling on the words of this page? How often do you have the heart and the, the or, or how often do you have the words and the heart of Christ written down in your mind, memorized? How often do you have these things? You need to preach the gospel to yourself every single day, friends, because we're tempted to believe false gospels, We're tempted to believe that we need something else or that we need to provide for ourselves something. But friends, this is not the case. We have to preach this to ourselves every day. And what does it say here? This Jesus, whom God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So the natural question to this is then what happens? Paul gets up there, or Peter gets up there, he says these things. He unapologetically preaches Jesus. He talks about the Old Testament. He explains Pentecost. What do people do? 37 says this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And you, with many others' words, he bore witnesses and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. The final point here, the spirit convicts and the church grows. The spirit of God convicts hearts and the church grows. That's the answer So when the Spirit of God is present and the Word is preached, the natural answer is, well, what do I do? What do I do now? And here in this specific example, it was turn. Every single time, true encounters with God through His Word and through His Spirit lead always to repentance and change. True encounters with God from His Word and with His Spirit always lead to repentance and change. 
when we fully grasp onto the idea that we are sinners that need God, when we really recognize that we need to be saved from something, when we truly know and believe that Jesus is the solution, we will be different. When the word is preached, we need to ask ourselves, now what shall we do? What do we do because of this truth? And to that day, the answer for those specific people was to repent and be baptized. True encounters with the Spirit lead us to repentance and change. Now, it's interesting to know here, it wasn't Peter. He, he exalts, he speaks, he tells of the good news of God, but Peter wasn't the one responsible for actually saving. Who was it? It was the Holy Spirit. When you go out and when you tell your friends about Jesus, when you tell your friends about uh, who Jesus is and what he's doing in your life, you are not responsible in that moment to be like, oh man, I hope it clicked. I hope I said it right. All you are doing to faithful, faithful to the Lord is saying, you need to change, you need to turn, and you need to recognize that Jesus is your Savior. And the Spirit of God does the rest. The Spirit of God calls us to himself. And this is what we get to do. This is what we get to do. So repent, be baptized, and be different. When we hear the word of God, when we hear the conviction and calling of the Spirit, we are never the same. You're not the same. You're not the same person you were before you knew Jesus. And every time we preach the gospel to ourselves, every time we are reminded of these truths, we get to look to God and we get to look to that reality, that day that we got saved, and we get to constantly return to his grace. We get to constantly return to his grace and his love for us. Are you doing that? Are you preaching the gospel to yourself daily? The big thing tonight, the main idea, through God's spirit, we tell of God's salvation. That's it. That's the truth. Just like Peter did. He had this, the words of God close to his heart. Now he has the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And he goes and he tells others. He speaks of the goodness of God. He speaks about Jesus. So when we have the Spirit of God, we tell others about God's salvation. Could it really be that? Is it really possible that all you need is the words of God and the Spirit of God to minister to others and also to minister to yourself? Because we need to be ministered to as well. We need to remind ourselves of this truth the true gospel, the real gospel. Not a fake gospel, not a gospel that says you're in the center of it, you need to figure it out. Not a gospel that says, well, there wasn't really anything wrong with what you were doing. A gospel that says God has saved me, he has rescued me, and his spirit is living and dwelling and breathing inside of me. So who are you witnessing to? You need to be witnessing to yourself, reminding yourself of these truths, but who are you witnessing to in your life right now? Who are you telling of the oracles, of the beauties, of the majesties of Jesus? Man, we need to be telling others. We need to be showing them of the love that Christ has gave us. Don't let the gospel lose its weight in your life. Don't look at the cross and say, I've seen this thing so many times. I've heard this story before that it just completely loses all relevance in your heart and lives. Remember Look back on the moment, if you're a Christian in this room, remember that moment when you asked yourself, what am I supposed to do now? And you realize I needed to repent. I needed to go to God. Remind yourself of that truth. 
When you're discouraged because you feel like your friend's not listening, remember it was possible for you and remember it could be possible for them through God's spirit. Don't get discouraged. Don't get down. Know that the Lord is in control, but with confidence tell others that they need to draw near. It's worth it. The spirit convicts and the church grows. It's what he's doing today. The, the, the idea of the, the words of God cutting to the heart, chipping away at things that would be wrong, that would be evil, the Lord still does that. If there's sin in your life, if there's something, the, the, the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. The kindness of God leads us to repentance and he leads us to a deeper relationship with him. Is it possible that Jesus is the solution? Is it possible that the spirit of Jesus and the words of Jesus are enough for you for everything? Are you living like that's true? Are you relying on the words of God? Are you relying on the spirit of God? And are you telling others, are you living a lifestyle that others would say they need Jesus? I can see it in their face. I can see it in the words that they say, the way they sound, the way they look, the way they act. That person has Jesus all over them. Are you acting like that? Are you living like that? If there's someone in this room tonight, you don't know Jesus, and you're like, man, maybe tonight's the night I need to turn. We have leaders who love you, who want to talk with you, want to pray with you. If there's a, in this moment you're realizing, and the commandment here is baptism, right? And there's not a direct correlation between salvation and baptism, but it is a commandment of God. If you're in this room, you're like, man, I need to be baptized. Come talk to me. Come talk to Courtney. We can make that happen when we do it soon here at church. The Lord of God, the, the Lord of all creation, he pours out his spirit. He promises Jesus. Jesus comes. Jesus is raised again. Now his spirit lives and dwells with us. It's just Jesus. We don't need to put fancy words. We don't need to put, you know, years of leadership courses, years of theological study into it. Now we can go. We can tell others about the good news of, of Jesus through his spirit, through his word. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the truth illuminated from this passage. God, we know that you use broken people. You use people who uh, have been far off to bring us closer to yourself. God, I pray that if the gospel has lost its weight in our lives, that we would remind ourselves of that truth. I pray that if the gospel has lost its relevance in our lives, we would be reminded of what it actually is. God, when we see the cross of Jesus, would we not think of guilt or shame? But God, would we think of the love that you have poured out for us? Thank you. Thank you that we get to sing, that we get to dwell, that we get to be in your presence tonight. Pray all this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.